All right, keep your Bibles open there to Joshua chapter 1. As you're doing so, two things real quickly. We heard this afternoon our missionary Steve Anderson, you know, Steve and Martha Anderson. Uh, Steve had a stroke, and uh, it affected his right side. We don't know the details, how uh, severe it is. But if you would pray for Steve for recovery for him. Also, uh, before we get into our message, um, I am sure that, like me, you enjoyed our revival services. I'd like to give you an opportunity to share what the revival meant to you. Maybe God spoke to your heart in a specific way. Maybe some scripture resonated with you. Something just stood out in his messages. Or just um, uh, something about the revival that just really meant a lot to you. We'd like to have a few testimonies to see what, uh, how God used it in your life. So who'd like to be first tonight? Anybody? Okay, hold on. Let him get your microphone here. The reason for that is the people live stream can hear you. Introduce yourself and... Yeah, my name is Donald Smith. I've been coming to church here for several years. And uh, I was... I was. Am I talking too loud? I'm sorry. Anyway, um, I was kind of slacking off on my Bible reading. And that, that uh, got me back in on track. And not only that, it made me realize that uh, I need to take uh, my walk with God more serious. And it was a blessing. The whole revival was uh, extremely... Uh, it was very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else. Over here. Okay. Well, just thank thank the Lord for uh, Tim, as he just just gave gave the Lord's um, the message, and it just um, it was just it was just simple, but yet it was it was plain plain truth, and it was very good. It was it was it was good. It spoke to my heart, and I appreciated it. Okay, somebody else. Yes, right here. My name is Larry Thompson. I was I was very challenged by the preaching and uh, the messages each night really spoke to my heart and uh, they seriously affected me and, and I just am thankful for it. Appreciate the church having Brother Tim and um, thankful for what God's doing through him. It must be exciting for you. It's amazing. Uh, that was his son preaching to him. <laughs> a special relationship there. So uh, it's great that God can use your son to be a minister to you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Any ladies? Yes, Pastor Rick. Uh, yes, I, I was just thinking as you're talking to Brother Larry, uh, it's kind of hard to sit there. You know, I, I used to spank him, and now he's spanking me. <laughs> but uh, but um, I just, uh, the message on, on the worthiness of God, uh, I think probably a lot of people in here have uh, got a lot of different troubles and situations and we don't understand why God maybe operates the way he does sometime but despite all that by definition he is God and he's worthy of our devotion and our our allegiance and our faithfulness too because he is worthy he he created all things so uh, we ought to praise him and worship him just for that not because he died for our sins that's the Bible does talk about that and that we owe our love to him but 
by definition, we ought to serve him just because of who he is. I thought that was just a tremendous reminder. Sure was. Sure was. Time for one more. I wonder if there's biting in the bit to say something. I know it is now. Now's the time to do it. Anybody? All, all the way up here. Bruce Callister. I uh, was very impressed and humbled on the Sunday night service where he, uh, Brother Tim was getting down and, and looking at the platform and my imagining God the Father and God the Son on that platform and thinking about eternity and uh, how I need to prepare every day for eternity. We don't know what we're going to be, do, be doing for God throughout eternity, but it, it focused my thoughts on what I needed to do, not only to win per, people to Christ, but to prepare myself for what he may have for us to do throughout eternity. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. It's amazing how Christians live for the temporary and at the neglect of the eternal. If you think about it, I, many times when I'm talking to children, I'm trying to explain what forever means, how long that is. And I, always, I think of a, if you've ever been to the, maybe to the beach, Clearwater Beach, can you imagine picking up just one grain of sand? And once a week, go over and pick up one grain of sand and bring it over here and put it in the front yard. And you did that until you moved the whole beach to the front yard. How long would that take? Forever. But you know, our life on earth, 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years, is compared to eternity is like one grain of sand compared to the whole beach. Now think about that. And how often we spend all our attention, all our time, all our money, all our focus on the temporary at the neglect of eternal. And so uh, I want to encourage you to consider eternity and not just the temporal. All right, let's go to Joshua, please. We're going to begin a series of messages on this wonderful book called Joshua. If you did not get a handout for tonight, Brother Phil just can't wait to hand them out. He's back there right now. If you did not get one, hold your hand up high and he'll bring it to you right where you're at. We pay him for every handout. <laughs> tonight we're going to look at what we call the commissioning of Joshua. God's servant Moses has just died. And now God commissions Joshua to take his place. In this, we have what I'm going to call the title of the message is Ingredients for Success. Ingredients for Success. Chances are, the fact that you're here tonight, you want to be successful in your Christian life. You want your walk with the Lord to be successful, to be the best it can be, get the most out of your Christian life, if all possible. And here we have in this passage of Scripture, Ingredients for Success. So if you want to be successful in your relationship with God, your walk with him in your Christian life, I encourage you to pay close attention because we have the ingredients just for that. Now look in verse 1. We'll begin there. It says, now after the death of Moses, and what did God call Moses? The servant of the Lord. It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, interesting what God called Moses. Sixteen times in this book, God referred to Moses as the servant of the Lord. 
Now, if God were to write another Bible and included you in there, what would he call you? Would he call you the lazy of the Lord? Or the do-nothing for the Lord? Or the one who just does little as he can? The Bible, God referred to Moses as a servant. And uh, we know when Christ comes back, many times he'll say, well done thou, good and faithful servant. So I hope that you live your life in such a way that you would want God to call you according to the characteristics of your life. He referred to Moses as the servant of the Lord. But notice how I want to give you a set of threes tonight. We're going to first of all look at God's threefold command. When he commissioned Joshua to take over for him. Now look up here please. There's only two people that come out of Egypt that went in the promised land. That was Joshua and Caleb. Now, we know there was over a million people that come out of Egypt. And only two got in the promised land. We know that when God, when Moses went to the promised land, he sent 12 spies in. Remember that? To spy out the land to see what it's like. The Bible says two come back with a good report. Ten come back with an evil report. And who did the Jewish people believe? Those the evil report. And basically what God did, God wiped out all that generation that did not believe God, except for two. That was Joshua and Caleb. And by the way, they were the two that come back with a good report. They, in fact, Moses himself did not enter the promised land. The Bible said he disobeyed God. God told him to speak to a rock and he struck it. And therefore, God would not allow him to enter the promised land. So basically here, God is commissioning Joshua to take the place of Moses. And he, first of all, gives him a threefold command. I hope you write them down. First of all, it said, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, rise. The first commandment, go cross over Jordan. Go or cross over Jordan. Remember, they already crossed over the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. Israelites crossed over that. The Egyptians followed them, and when, they got, and when Jewish people got on the other side, God closed the waters and wiped out the whole Egyptian army. Now they're coming to another uh, waters they're going to part. They have not done yet. We're going to get to that. But he says, first of all, his command, go cross over Jordan. Number two, a letter B. Here he says, conquer the inhabitants. Conquer the inhabitants. After he said, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people... And that a part of verse 2, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness to this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. So the first command, go cross over Jordan. Number two, conquer the inhabitants in, in the promised land. And number three, then he says, divide the land. After you conquer the inhabitants, divide the land up to among your people. He says, for unto this people shall thou divide for inheritance the land, which I swear unto your fathers to give to them. Now a question I think is, someone may ask, why would God take away the land from the Hittites and give them to his people? My friend, the Hittites, and there's many others, we're going to mention several other 
people who lived there. They were already there. They already had the land. God took it from them and gave it to the Jews. Why did he do that? This is not in your notes, but I give you three reasons why he took the land away from the tithes and gave them to the, his people. Number one, because the land was God's to take. The land was God's to take. When he told his people, when you go into the promised land, I'm going to give it all to you. Now, someone was already there. Someone already possessed it. And God took it from them. Look on the screen, please. I think it's on the screen then. Yes, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. By the way, this land, the whole world belongs to God. If he wants to take it from somebody and give it to somebody else, he has the right to do that. It's his to give. So first of all, the reason he took the, away from the Hittites and gave it to the Jewish people because it was his to give. Next, he promised it to his people. Remember, it's called the promised land. It was promised to his people. Verse 6. For unto this people shall thou divide for inheritance the land which I swear unto the, your fathers to give them. God promised that to the Jewish people. And he gave it to them. Now, if you would, please keep your finger right in Joshua. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Here's when the land was promised to God's people, beginning with Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, please. The reason God took it from the Hittites and gave it to the Jews, because it was his to take. And because God had promised it to his people. Genesis 15. Here's the part of the Abrahamic covenant where God gave the land to Abraham, promised it to him. When here he said, which he swear unto your fathers, talking about his Jewish fathers, Abraham. Verse 12, Genesis 15, verse 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of the great darkness fell upon him. Verse 13. And he said unto Abram, no surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them for 400 years. What was he talking about there? He was talking about the bondage of God's people into Egypt. Remember, they went down to Egypt and Joseph was there. And the Bible says a Pharaoh that rose up that knew not Joseph, then put the Jewish people into bondage and they served with rigor for 400 years. Abraham saw that, and he said he saw it with horror that his people will be in bondage. And it said, they shall afflict them 400 years. Verse 14, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So he's saying here, the Egyptians, you will serve 400 years. I will judge them for doing, uh, uh, bringing bondage upon you. And afterward, when you leave, you'll come out with a great substance. Verse 15, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, speaking Abraham, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Verse 16, but in the fourth generation, and talking about after Abraham, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Remember that. The fourth generation, they will go into the promised land, but not now, because the iniquity of the Amorites were not yet full. Verse 17, and it came to pass that when the sun went down, 
It was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between the pieces. Verse 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, Abram, saying unto thy seed. Here's that promise. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Then he mentions all kind of people that would be in the land there. Not just the Hittites. He mentions several of them there. These are the ones that were possessing the land. God sends people to take it from them to give it to his people. So the first reason why he took the land of the Hittites because it was God's to take. He had promised to his people. And lastly, God uses people to judge the Amorites. God uses people to judge the Amorites. Look back again, and I still got it. If not, I'll quote it. Genesis 15, 16, it's up on the screen. He's speaking to Abraham. He said, but in the fourth generation, fourth generation would pass before my people go in the promised land. It said, a generation shall come again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What does that mean? Listen carefully. Here's what a commentary said, and I wrote it down. I won't read it to you. The reason why Abraham could not have the land of promise and possession till the fourth generation was because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Israel could not possess the land of Canaan till the Amorites were judged for their sin. That they, they said they are not ripe, yet ripe for ruin. The righteous judge has determined that they shall not be cut off till they have persisted in sin so long and arrived at such a pitch of wickedness that there may appear some equitable proportion between their sin and their ruin. And therefore, till it come to that, the seed Abraham must be kept out of the possession of God's promised land. Then he went on to say this, two things. He said, note, the measure of sin fills gradually. Those that continue in wickedness, wicked ways, are treasuring up unto themselves God's wrath. Then it goes on to say, some people's measure of sin fills slowly. The Sodomites, who were sinners before the Lord exceedingly, soon filled their measure, but the iniquity of the Amorites was long in filling. So basically, there were people in the promised land that were very wicked. In fact, all the Canaanites were wicked. But specifically the Amorites. He said, you can't go in yet. But when their iniquity is full, you will go in and you will conquer them and wipe them out. God uses people to judge these people for their wickedness. That was the third reason why he took the land from them. Number two. Number two. We saw God's threefold command. Now, we're going to get God's threefold promise. God's threefold promise in verse 5. You know, with God's command comes God's promises. The first letter A, the promises of God, verse 5. He told him, when you go in there, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. What a promise. No doubt, Joshua probably felt a little intimidated. He has over a million Jews following him. He's going to land he's never been before. He was one of the ones who spied it out, but he saw the people there. He saw the giants in the land. He saw the cities walled up high. And God said, would you go in there and conquer them? And he gave him three promises. Number one, the first promise is the presence of God. The presence of God. 
he said, I will be with thee. Verse 9 says, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. What a promise. What a promise. By the way, do we have that promise today? The answer is yes, I'm going to show you in just a moment. The second promise given to Joshua is not only the presence of God, but the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. He said, I will be with thee. And he goes on to say, I will not fail thee. Remember he told him to go in the land? said, no man will be able to stand against you. You shall be able to go in and conquer them because I will not fail thee. The word fail means relax, refrain. God's not going to let up and say, well, you're on your own. Just go ahead and try your best. God said, I will never fail thee. How many grateful God will not fail you? When you think of the promises that God gives us, remember that. God said, I will not fail you. Have you ever been scared to witness to someone? And, and the Bible tells us, go and share the gospel. Remember these promises when that happens. God said, I'll be with you. I will not fail thee. The third promise is not only the presence of God, the faithfulness of God. I call this the trustworthiness of God. The trustworthiness of God. How many of you believe God's trustworthy? And he says here, I will not, I'll be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. The word forsake means abandon or desert. What a promise. So Joshua, this young man, leading his people into the promised land, God said, there shall not be any man to stand against you. And be not afraid, for as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail thee. I will not forsake thee. I'm going to show you these are promises we have today. Let me show before any further, these same promises were made unto Moses. When God called him to lead his people. Look on the screen there please. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. He says to Moses. Be strong. And of good courage. Fear not. Nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is. It is he that doth. He see. He it is that doth. Um, I must have read something out. The Lord thy God. And here it is. He that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee. Nor forsake thee. I wrote the same sentence twice. <laughs> but basically we're saying here the same thing he told Joshua. I'm not going to fail you. I won't forsake you. I'll be with you. He said the same thing to Solomon. When Solomon took over the kingdom from his father David. First Chronicles 28. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Fear not. Be not dismayed. For the Lord thy God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. So it was made to Joshua, it was made to Moses, it was made to Solomon, by the way, the same promise is made to you. The same promise is made to you. You know, there's so many promises in the Old Testament that we need to be careful claiming them because they're written to the Jews. But however, this promise, though, was written to the Jews, is also written to us. If you got your Bibles, turn to me to Hebrews 13, please. The same promise that was given to Joshua, Moses, Solomon is also given to us today. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Many of you know the verse, but I want you to highlight it. Hebrews 13, verse 5. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things you have. 
Then he goes on to say, and I encourage you to highlight this. For he has said, when did he say it? He said it to Solomon. He said it to Joshua. He said it to Moses. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor what? Forsake thee. What a promise. He will never. By the way, the word never is a double negative. You know what that means? I will in no case, in no situation, not ever, never will I leave you. I will in no case, no situation, not ever, ever forsake you. That's a promise he made to you and I. And so when you have to do something that you're scared, you're afraid, and you're reluctant to do it, God says, I'll be with you. And I will not forsake you. There's a promise you can claim that was also given to Joshua, Moses, and Solomon. Next, we saw the promises of God. Now look at the instruction of God. Go back, please. Back to the book of Joshua. Now he gives them instructions that are based upon his promises. He gives them instructions based upon the promise. What were the promise? The presence of God, the faithfulness of God, the trustworthiness of God. And based upon these promises, look what he says to them. We're going to see in verse 6. He says, be what? Strong and of good courage. Verse 7. Only be thou strong, very courageous. Verse 9. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goest. Sound like a broken record, doesn't it? Over and over again, because he knew Joshua could easily be scared, intimidated. He's leading a people of quite a number. So there are four instructions he gave. I hope you fill them out. Number one, in fact, it's already up there. You got it. Be strong. Because I'll be with you, because I will never fail you, I'll never forsake you. Be strong. Next, be of good courage. Be of good courage. Then he says, be not afraid. It's interesting how fear can keep us from doing what God has called us to do. God says, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. <laughs> when I think of God with us and how powerful he is and how weak we are, I read a story one time. There was an elephant and a chicken walking across the swinging bridge. And they got to the other side, and the chicken looked at the elephant and said, Do you see how we, we made that swing sway back and forth? And basically, the chicken didn't do that. God, the elephant did. And so often we think, look what we can accomplish for the Lord. My friend, it's not us, it's him. And he's the one. Be not afraid. Number four, be not dismayed. That means don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. But you notice these promises are not based upon who I am or my abilities. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have a personality. I don't have the ability. I, I can't talk well. I don't have, uh, can't speak to people very well. And therefore, we look at our abilities and who we are, and we get afraid, and we fail and do not do the job. The abilities are not, this instruction not based upon who you are or your abilities, but who he is and his abilities. And if we would approach the situation and we get afraid, don't look at yourself. Look at the one who told you to go. Look at him. He's able. I have to believe he's able. And so let's step out. In fact, we read Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
Hebrews 13, 6 says this. So then, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That is based upon God's promise to never leave you, nor forsake you. So, we began with God's threefold instruction, threefold command, threefold promise, and number three, number three. Here's God's threefold ingredients for success. God's threefold ingredients for success. Go back, you would please, back to the book of Joshua. Here's God's necessary ingredients. But I want you to notice something. His ingredients are contrary to human reason. Look at me, please. The Jewish people were not trained in war. They just were slaves for 400 years. They just crossed the uh, wilderness. And now they're going to a promised land. Joshua already spied out the land. He saw the people there. He saw the sons of Anak, which was the giants in the land. He saw so many things there. And Joshua said, my people, you know, basically, they're not trained for war. And you want us to go fight. And so I want you to know what, this, what got the, the um, ingredients God gave to Joshua. First of all, he didn't tell him, I want you to train your men to fight. I want you to sharpen your swords. I want you to sharpen your spirits because you're going to battle. He didn't say that. How about today? When God calls you to do something, so often we think, well, uh, I need to be more educated. I need to have a better personality. <laughs> Maybe go to personality development. Now, I'm not against education. I got three degrees in the Bible. I'm not against that. I'm not against trying to make your personality more acceptable to people. But it's not that that makes you effective for the Lord. These are not ingredients for success. What did he tell them are the ingredients for success? Let me give you three of them, please. The ingredients for Joshua to be successful was not to train his men to fight, to train to be men of war. Number one, the first ingredient is scripture. Is scripture is the first ingredients for success. The word of God. Look in Joshua 1, 7, please. He said, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the what? The law. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So the first ingredient for success when he goes into battle against these people, the enemy, to take the land God promised them is scripture, the word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy 3. In fact, you don't need to turn there. It's on the screen. I'm sorry. Some of them I will have you turn to the next one I will, but not this one. Look on the screen, please. Here it talks about the Word of God. And it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for things. It's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine tells you what is right. For reproof, that tells you what is not right. For correction, that tells you how to get right. And for instruction of righteousness, that tells you how to stay right. But he said, I give this to you, all scripture. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be what? Perfect. The word perfect can mean mature or it can mean complete. But it goes on to say, thoroughly furnished unto all what? So what is it I need to be thoroughly furnished to do what is good? Scripture. It is sufficient. The sufficiency of scripture. 
I think I shared this before, but I'm quite amazed in the illustration I, to me, somewhat thoroughly furnished. Many times, Larry Thompson's come to my house, do some work on my house, build things for us and like that. And he brings his van over there. You ever seen inside his van? It's got everything in it you need to do the job. That van is thoroughly furnished under all work. I mean, he needs a screw, needs a tool, he, needs, he just goes to his van. It's thoroughly furnished unto any good work that needs to be done around the house. My friend, what do you need to be thoroughly furnished to serve the Lord? The Word of God. That's what you need, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now turn to me to 2 Peter, please. This is not on the screen. I know that. 2 Peter chapter 1. So the first ingredient to be successful in the Christian life is the Word of God. When you have the Word of God, you are thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Anything God calls you to do, the Word of God is sufficient. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us, notice here, all things that pertain unto what? Life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That through, excuse me, the knowledge, the word of God, I have everything I need for life and godliness. So basically, we please, in order for me to be successful in my Christian life, in order for me to be thoroughly furnished unto every good work God calls me to do, I have everything I need is found in this book. Do you believe that? Now, I'm not against other things you can do to make yourself more effective and more efficient, but you don't necessarily need those. You have everything you need in the Word of God. Uh, the second ingredients is not only the wor Word of God, Number two, meditation in the Word. Meditation in the Word. Joshua 1.8. Now, again, we're talking about ingredients for success. Scripture, the Word of God. Number two, meditation in the Word. Joshua 1.8, most of you know this verse. He told this man, fiction going to war, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt what? meditate therein day and night. What does the word meditate mean? And I looked it up. It can mean to study, to ponder, to mull over. But I read this. I think I've used this before, but in case you were not here, to me, the greatest illustration I've ever read about that is a cow chewing his cud. You know, a cow, in fact, we have cows. We've got pasture around near our house. And we go walk by there, and we see cows grazing. They're biting off grass, uh, and then they chew and chew and chew, and they swallow it. I, I read somewhere that a cow has several stomachs. And so they uh, graze all day long. Then they go down and lie under the, in the shade of a tree. What they do, all the food they graze on, they swallow to the first stomach. Then as they lay down, may I use this? They bring it back up, back to their mouth, and they chew it the second time. That's what he called chewing the cud. And then they swallow it to the second stomach. And from the second stomach, the body gets nourishment. Someone says they can, a cow can graze all day long and starve to death. Because they swallow it to the first stomach. It's not the first stomach they get nourishment. They bring it back up. 
They chew it and chew it and chew it and swallow it to the second stomach. There they begin to have nourishment. My friend, hearing what we're doing right here, we're grazing. We're grazing from God's word. Hopefully you'll go home and take your notes. And may I say, bring it back up <laughs> and begin to think about it, mull over it, chew on it, and then swallow it and apply it to your life. That's what we call meditation. But how often should they meditate? Did you see that? It said, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. How often do you meditate in God's word? Many of it do it just on Sundays. It says not just on Sundays, but every day, but day and night. Psalm 1. Let me read this today because time is running out. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. In fact, the song we sang was right from Scripture. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. But, I love this, but his delight is where? In the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate, mull over, chew on, day and night. Have you ever got up in the morning and heard a song? And you, and you begin, you thought, hum that song all day long. You just can't get it out of your head. My friend, that's the way scripture ought to be. You hear the word of God, read it, you ought to think about it and mull over it all day long. That's meditation. David said in Psalm 19, verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts. They have respect unto thy ways. Then he goes on to say in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation, what? All the day, day and night. So the first ingredient for success is scripture, the word of God. The second one is meditation in the word. And number three, the last one, is obedience to the word. Meditation in the word, obedience to the word. He says there, by the way, he mentions two kinds of obedience. Hope you write them down. Two kinds mentioned here. The first one is complete obedience. Complete obedience. In verse 7, Joshua 1, he says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to what? All the law. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So the obedience, two kinds, complete obedience, and number two, letter B, continual obedience. Continual obedience in verse 7. The latter part of it says, turn not from it to the right hand, nor to the left hand. So the third key ingredients for success, obedience to the word, complete obedience, and continual obedience. And then he gives us results. We'll wrap it up with this. The results of meditation and obedience is twofold. We're going to see in verse 7, the latter part. The first one is prosperity. Prosperity. As you meditate therein, said, Thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now look at me, please. Don't miss this. He's not talking about financial prosperity. He's not talking about physical prosperity, at least to us. He's talking to Joshua about uh, military prosperity. But to us, he's talking about spiritual prosperity. Spiritual prosperity. As I meditate in God's word, I obey what it says. 
it says, I notice it said, verse 7, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And back in Psalm I read before, it says this, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Uh, it goes on to say, and verse 3, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. It says, wherever you go, you shall prosper. Whatever you do, you shall prosper. Two kinds of prosperity. Where, where, wherever you go, and whatever you do. And the last result of meditation obedience is success. Success. We see that in verse 8. For then, after you meditate and observe to do, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have what? I like this. Not just success, but good success. How many want good success? So, my friend, there is the key to ingredients for success. Let me close with this. In this passage, we saw three things. Three, we saw God's threefold command. What was it? Cross over the Jordan, conquer the inhabitants, divide the land. Then we saw God's threefold promise. What was his promises? The presence of God, the faithfulness of God, and the trustworthiness of God. Then we saw God's threefold ingredients for success. Scripture, meditation, and obedience. I'm done. So what I want you to do, please, we graze through the first nine verses of the book of Joshua. Take this home with you. Bring it back up and meditate on it. Think about what God is saying to you. Think about how his promise you and instructs you. And then he tells us how, how to have success in our Christian life. With that in mind, in your bulletin this morning, there was a list of Sunday school classes that we offer to adults, even that of teenagers. L let me ask you this. Do you go to Sunday school? Are you involved with the adult Bible studies? Because remember, what was the first ingredients for success? The word of God. And so I encourage you that uh, don't settle with just the preaching during the services. Come to these Bible studies. We have some tremendous Bible teachers. We have retired pastors. We have retired missionaries. We got retired missionary and pastor's wives. Tremendous teachers. They're there to help you and you grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do not attend Sunday school, why not determine after this message, I want to get the most of God's word I can get and plan coming to join us for the adult Bible studies every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Let's bow together, please. Father, we thank you for your instruction given to Joshua. We know that Joshua was very successful in what he did because you promised that you'd be with him. You would not fail him nor forsake him. And Father, that same promise you gave to Joshua, you give to us. Many times you instruct us, you guide us, your Holy Spirit guides us to do things for you. Sometimes we let our fear to keep us from doing what you call us to do. And yet we have the same promise that you would never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, we should not be afraid. We should step out in faith and go and do what you told us to do. And Lord, you concluded with that chapter there, that part of the chapter, and you gave us three key ingredients for success. 
This will help us be successful in our walk and relationship with you. The word of God, the meditation of the word, and obedience to the word. Help us, Father, take these and apply it to our lives so we can be successful in our walk and relationship with you. Fast in Jesus' name, amen.